Hi, everyone. Just a quick disclaimer about today's episode. Um, this episode is about the film Class of 1984, which is a film about school violence. It's a highly stylized, exaggerated, grindhouse exploitation take on school violence, but it's about school violence nonetheless. And given the current situation in America, I thought you might want that heads up. I also do want to point out that Diamond and I did record this on May 22nd, two days before the terrible events that unfolded in uh, Texas. So I guess I just wanted to put that out there. I also personally want to put out there that I abhor guns. I abhor the current situation happening in America. And I think any politician that is not rallying, campaigning, or lobbying for drastic gun reform in the United States is an inhuman monster. And any politician who believes more people should have guns or any politician that helped put guns in people's hands right now is an accomplice to murder and they're bastards. And with that being said, let's talk about a stupid movie. Welcome to another episode of Cinema Oblivia, your podcast for films that are out of style, out of date, out of fashion, and out of time. Once again, I am your host, James Eldred, and who's back today? Diamond Fight and uh, pain. Pain is everything. Podcasting is everything, God damn <laughs> Anyway, yes, pain is everything. That is the motto of the antagonist for the film we're talking about today, the 1982 kind of grindhouse uh, high school hell story class of 1984 directed by Mark Lester and featuring a very young Michael J. Fox um, and other people and Michael J. Fox uh, Diamond I, I've been wanting to talk about this movie for a long time and you picked it for today um, why did you pick this movie? It's a sheer coincidence honestly I watched it for the first time like two months ago uh, I had heard of it, of course. I had seen posters posters of it over the years, but I never saw it until just on a whim. I was like, oh, what's this? And I watched it, and it really, you know, it really struck me. And then you mentioned it, and then I was like, well, I just saw this movie, and I thought it was really interesting. So it just, um, it just, you know, unlike the other, the other episodes we had, you know, we talked about uh, Silver Streak, and we talked about uh, Dead or Alive, and um, uh, Runaway, like these are not mm -hmm. movies. This is not a movie that has haunted me. This is not a movie that has followed, <laughs> lived in the back of my brain. It just, it is something I literally saw a few months ago, but it really, it really did surprise me. So uh, I'm happy to be here. I'm glad to hear that. And this is, you know, the last time when you were here about Runaway, that movie came out in 1984. Yes. So, you know, thematically consistent, I guess, a little bit. This is uh, not as. You know, I'm not going to say Runaway is a well-known film, but that was a major studio release, and it has Tom Selleck in it. Yeah. Uh, or, this is a, a lesser-known lesser, lesser known film, I would say, by mm. a director whose films people have probably seen, 
and featuring a lot of actors that people might recognize. But I feel like it's not really talked about all that much. And I feel like that's a shame because it's a damn good movie and very interesting. Um, it's a, for me, it's a very good mix of like actual good cinema made by people who know what they're doing and complete trash. <laughs> but we should talk about the director because I think a lot of this is him. And he, yeah. um, Mark Lester. Not British. That name to me, so I thought be, I thought he'd be British, but when I I watched the director's commentary, he's just he's an American guy. Yeah, he's an American guy with kind of a, kind of a boring commentary track. But um, <laughs> yeah, American guy made a lot of movies people know. He of course his kind of his one two punch of like mainstream films is Firestarter and Commando. Mm. And uh, you mentioned in the notes that Commando is all capitalized the Schwarzenegger film in Japan. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I mean, obviously that that's a that's a hit movie and lots of people saw it. But I feel like once I moved here and I started using the internet in Japan, I just kept seeing lots of memes and jokes and references of, to Commando. And I think, I think what it comes down to is it probably it was an early hit movie for him, and I think it aired on TV a lot. So mm, people, okay. I think in Japan, have very specific memories of that movie more than any of his other films. Um, it's very silly, you know. what I mean, it's it's very violent, but it's also, it's also very silly. So you know, it's not. It's not as, it's, you know, the Terminator is kind of a serious, you know, it's a ridiculous movie about a killer robot, but it's also serious. You know what I mean? Yeah, Commando yeah, yeah. is just, Commando is farcical. You yeah, know what I mean? He, uh, yeah. He flips, he flips, like flips Porsche with his, with his, you know, with his bare hands. He, he throws guys off mountains. You know what I mean? Every, every kill's a joke. So I think that's, you know, a key transition point in Schwarzenegger's career. And I think it really resonated with Japanese audiences. So in a way that I don't think you, I didn't realize until I moved here and saw how many, how many memes it, it spawned? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of that movie. I own the like the the Japanese Blu-ray with the director's cut on it. It's more that's even more violent, and <laughs> uh, that's a good one. I love, absolutely love Firestarter, and I haven't seen the remake. I heard it's terrible, but when I was a kid, I loved Firestarter, which is kind of fucked up to say, and. <laughs> That's a fucked up movie, and as I've gotten older, I like it. I that's a good Tangerine Dream score, and sometimes when I want to watch a bunch of bastards burn to death, let's watch Firestarter hmm. because Firestarter has one of the most satisfying endings of any film ever made because every bad guy in the film violently and slowly burns alive. <laughs> so by Drew by a young Drew Barrymore, so it's a gooder. Um, but Mark Lester made a few films before those. You know, this is kind of like his last indie film before he went semi-mainstream for a while. But in the 70s, he was churning them out. He made a movie called Steel Arena in 1973, which I really want to see. I didn't have time to watch it before this, which looks like basically a showcase for cars blowing up, which <laughs> is one of my favorite kinds of films. And then he followed that up with uh, Truck Stop Women. <laughs> Which is almost as good as you think it is. Yeah, um, I mean that's a that's a fantastic title. That that is just you know three words. Everything you need to know. The opening <laughs> shot of that movie is a dude making out with two women in a hot tub, like before the credits. <laughs> um, that movie is sleaze on sleaze. It is great. It has Uncle Leo from Seinfeld. <laughs> um. Not the main character. It, it stars Claudia Jennings. Claudia Jennings was in a lot of like sleazy films. She's in this another great sleazy film called Gator Bait, 
which I which I brought up on the Fangs podcast. Um, it's a gooder. I I really, if you just want to see, like, like um, smoking the bandit is the sanitized trucker movie. This is this is the real shit. <laughs> <laughs> and sorry to keep going on on his old movies, but he made a lot of good old movies. Another right after that, he made another movie called Bobby Joe and the Outlaw, which I watched last night. Hmm. With uh, Linda Carter, Wonder Woman's Linda Carter, um, naked a lot, and hmm. um, Marjo Gortner, the evangelist turned actor who I've brought up far too many times on this podcast. He was in, <laughs> he was in Viva Knievel, and he is in uh, um, American Ninja Three, and he is in the something else I brought him up in. He's an earthquake. He's in a few other films. He's not a very good actor, but he is fan- <laughs> he is fantastic in Bobby Joe and the Outlaw because he's basically playing a showman turned into an outlaw. And Marjo was a, a an evangelist, a child evangelist. So he's very charismatic. So that that's a great movie. I, I recommend that. Also sleazy as hell. Also just like a gnarly film um and then yeah, after that yeah that's ahead, a movie that absolutely i've heard of because of linda carter's nude scenes like it's, it's yeah. i think at this point it's most famous for her being in it without clothes on yeah i don't i don't, I don't, I don't want to sound like a pig i just did an episode about a gallo and i talked about the naked woman for like five minutes and i'm sorry that's not me um but i mean it is notable for it's her only nude scene and so like People who are into that are into that. Uh, mm-hmm. He made two other films, a movie called just called Stunts, <laughs> um, which was New Line Cinema's first film um, that they actually that they actually distributed. No, no, produced, produced, produced. And uh, I I do want to see that. That's a little harder to find. And then he made Roller Boogie, which is the most 1970s movie, which is a roller disco film with Linda Blair. The amount just. The amount of things stacked together in that brief sentence. Just <laughs> I would have boogie to... disco movie starring Linda Blair. Uh, you know, uh, your friend and mine, Shane Bettenhausen, that bastard. He um he loves the disco musical The Apple, and God I have told him. him that every <laughs> he's the one. Um, I love you, Shane. I hate you. Um, I he I have told him every disco movie I've seen is better than The Apple, except Saturday Night Fever. And because I really hate that movie, and I, I would have now I have to watch Roller Boogie to see if that still stands. I mean, I want to see I want to see Linda Blair on roller skates. Why not? Maybe, maybe that was her calling. I don't know. She, yeah, she worked, yeah. She worked a lot. She tried to find her her you know she tried to find her niche and she really couldn't find it. So I know there's a I know there's a share song in that movie called Hell on Wheels. So I'm sure it's good. I'm sure it's good. But yeah, uh, after 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 his mainstream thing, he made oh, he also made Armed and Dangerous, the John Candy movie. And then after that is that, wild. That's that's so different than everything else we've talked about so far. I've, that's, I've never that's seen that. Is that a good movie? You know, it's 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 goofy. I'm, that's that was a cable mainstay, you know. And I also okay. I grew up, you know, growing up as a fat kid. I love John Candy. Yo, um, same. <laughs> so. And I think years later, I came to appreciate Eugene Levy more. So the two of them in that movie are really <laughs> fun. And that's also that's a young that's an early role for Meg Ryan. Oh, OK. Yeah. She's in that movie as sort of. I don't know if she's a love interest or just like a pretty girl that they want to hook up with, but um, there's a lot of lot of good actors in that movie. I know that's that's a big role for Breon James, you know, just tough looking dude. 
okay. died before his time. Um, I think I think Tiny Lister's in that movie too. I think Tiny Lister plays one of the evil security guards. It's like there's there's like goofy good security guards and there's evil security guards who are stealing stuff, and it's just it's um. I was I was I worked as a security guard for about five minutes, and there are no there are no goofy ones. They're all they're all evil um, <laughs> or lazy. I was lazy, uh, but yeah. After that, he kind of he started his own production company, and this kind of stayed in the low budget lane. He made a sequel to this that I have not seen called Class of 1999, which is a sci fi movie. Mm. And there's so there's Class of '84, then the sequel is Class '99, and then there's Class '99 two, <laughs> which is confusing. Did he um, make that one or no? He made that one also. He um, did. Okay. I have not heard many good things. Those are about like like uh, cyborgs and like it's they, they they sound very silly. Mm. I don't think he made two, but I know he made the first one. And yeah. he also made um I think two other films that people might have heard of that he made is Extreme Justice, which came out in '93, and that has a Lou Diamond Phillips in it and Yafet Kodo. And he also made um a, what is it? a Showdown in Little Tokyo. Is that a Brandon Lee joint? That is the Brandon Lee Dolph Lundgren oh, joint. Which okay, okay, yeah. Which is so racist. We talked about it in my college sociology class. <laughs> um, because there's a scene in that movie like, right before they're about to go into like do a big shootout that might kill them both. Brandon Lee stops to say to Dolph Lundgren that Dolph Lundgren has the biggest penis he's ever seen in his entire life. I think I've seen that clip on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, and it's like okay, there's a lot to unpack in that. Um, literally and figuratively. Uh, I, I, I haven't watched it as a non, in a non sociological setting ever. So I, maybe it's good. I'm sure it's fun, but it, it probably, probably not the greatest film. H- have you seen any other films other than Commando and Armed and Dangerous? Have you seen any other, the, any of these films? I don't think so. I, I definitely, yeah. I mean, N- Night of the Running Man sounds familiar, but I don't, I don't know about that one. That was a home video mainstay. Uh, I I have never seen it. I just I, when I was looking through stuff, I, I remember the box that has uh, Andrew McCarthy and a bunch of people and a bunch of bunch of character actors. And but that one always rented. So but he's still making movies. Like he they don't look good. Um, he produced a movie called Exorcist Vengeance this year, and something called Sleeping with My Student. Um. <laughs> So back to, high movie. <laughs> back to high school. Yeah, back to high school. And he, oh, he also works. Have you ever seen, like, sometimes he makes the round on Twitter. There's this actor who looks just like Charles Bronson. I have not seen that. I have not seen you, Charles Bronson. No. Uh, I'm going to send you a link. Click on that. Okay. That is not Charles Bronson. Whoa. <laughs> Looks, I guess he looks a little. He looks like like Charles Bronson with an Asian parent. Yeah, yeah. So that's uh, Robert Pronzi, and I think I don't know if Robert Lester discovered him or what, but there's more than one film with that dude that Robert Lester has been involved with. He is currently making a movie called The Invitation, according to IMDb. Uh, his what's about MK Ultra. Uh, his last movie that he directed was in 2014 called Dragons of Camelot which has a 2.3 on IMDb and looks absolutely atrocious. So I don't know what happened to him. <laughs> um, I don't want to get I don't want to stray too far off topic, but I just have to point out that Robert Bronzy starred in a movie last year called Escape from Death Block 13. And the poster 
the poster is just him firing a grenade launcher. And he looks he looks very ornery and he looks like he's 100 years old. It's just it's an what an amazing poster. Yeah, I I, I do want to check out one of his movies because they I've seen the trailers and they all just look like fucking uh, Charles Bronson movies, like to a brazen extent. Like, hey, man, you know, if I guess find your lane and stick in it. But it's weird. (laughs) I don't know. Reminds me that Japanese guy who looks like Bruce Willis. You ever seen that guy? Yeah. 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 Um, I I feel I, I wish. I don't want to. I don't know much about Mark Lester as a person, but I, I just kind of feel he got lazy, and just he opened his own production company and made money that way, and hasn't made like he's a talented director that I think kind of just uh, kind of wasted his talents. Maybe he just got sick of the Hollywood machine. I don't know. He if, yeah, if, who he's knows? Still, if he's still working, you know, good for him for still working. But uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, sounds like a lot of a lot of the material he's made. Since uh, since the nineties has just been a slow descent. <laughs> yes, definitely. And he did co wrote co write this film with two other people. One of them is a guy named John Saxon, not that John Saxon. John Saxon. <laughs> yeah. uh, he also wrote uh, She Wolf of the SS, <laughs> Ilsa Sea Wolf of the SS, and uh, which is not a good movie. And Happy Birthday to Me, which is the move the slasher film that has death by Cisco Bob. Now that's different than Bloody Birthday. Yeah, just different. It's a different movie. Okay, I know Bloody Birthday, but not Happy this Birthday. Is to happy me. Birthday to me. It's I like it. I, I like Happy Birthday to me. And, but the main writer on this is Tom Holland, who mm. I've already talked about. I think at least twice here because Tom Holland wrote um, Cloak and Dagger, and he also co-wrote what was uh, um, crap. He just there was another movie that I talked about that he he co-wrote, and now I'm drawing a blank. Not not uh, Fright Night. I had to talk about Fright Night. Uh, not Child's Play, not Psycho Two. Oh yeah, right, yeah, right, right he yes. Also, he he also co-wrote Psycho Two. Uh, Tom Holland had a great run in the eighties. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, from this movie really, because before that, before this is the Beast Within. The Beast Within, Beast Within's okay, but then Cloak and Dagger, Fright Night, and Child's Play. Also, Fatal Beauty, the Whoopi Goldberg crime movie. But you know, <laughs> they can't all be winners. And um. <laughs> I think it's what's really fascinating about Tom Holland's screenplays is that I can't. I if you would have told me that the guy who wrote Psycho Two wrote this and Cloak and Dagger, I wouldn't believe you. <laughs> it's a lot in a short period of time. Well, not this versatile. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those are very different films. Cloak and Dagger and Class of '84 could not be more different. <laughs> so good on him. I, I, that's. I mean. And they're all great movies. So, and like Fright Night is like a perfect movie. Have you seen Fright Night? Oh yeah, yeah I, I saw I saw the original, and I definitely I saw that remake not too long ago too. So, uh, I, how yeah. was the remake? Um, it had, I remember enjoying a lot of it. I remember okay because uh, uh, was it David Tennant shows up as the sort of um, you know, occult guy, showman guy. And he just he's got a real he's got a real tired like Vegas look to him. And it, it really <laughs> it comes off as it comes off as good. And, and Colin, I like I like Colin Farrell. I think Colin Farrell's a good guy. I uh, guess. At least on screen. At least on sc- I don't know personally, but yeah. Yeah. yeah but yeah. Yeah. But, but there's no Rod- there's no Rodney McDowell. So, no, unfortunately. Like, sign me out. Sign me out. And uh, also behind the scenes on this one. Two more people I want to quickly mention. The music's by Laszlo Sifrin. Mm. 
who is a god of composers. Like he composed Athena Miss and Impossible, the end. I mean, yeah, like that alone, that alone would be like Hall of Fame worthy. But he's had he's had such a great career. I mean, I think personally, I think of Enter the Dragon first because that mm-hmm. music, the music in that movie is, is so good. Oh, it's amazing. And yeah. I think I remember I think the first time I, I learned his name was in the 90s. He sort of had a quick he sort of had a comeback. I think he was he was idle for a while, but he had a comeback in the 90s. Because remember, he was he did the he did the music for. um. Oh, my God. The um, before rush hour, before rush hour, there was money a, talk. Money talks. Yes, money talks. He did the music for money talks, which was a, <laughs> which is kind of a weird, kind of a weird throwback. Not black exploitation, but definitely like a silly crime movie about you know just a funny guy. Very eighties comedy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It even has even has uh, the the principal from Breakfast Club is one of the is one of the cops. Like it's just it's oh, very shit. much okay. Yeah. Very much uh, a, a movie that, that feels like it's from a different era. But yeah, mm-hmm. when I watched that as a young person in the 90s, I was like, oh, this music's interesting. Then I saw his name. I was like, oh, who's this guy? And I, then I re- put the put the numbers together. Like, oh, that's the guy who made the Enter the Dragon music. So. Yeah, he yeah. made. Oh. All, yeah, he, he did every Dirty Harry movie, which, you know, like wh- wh- whatever you want to say about the politics of those movies, the music kicks ass. Um, mm. He did Bullet. You know, uh, Amityville Horror. Some um weird shit like THX 1138, you know, and then the Rush Hour films and 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 so many other ones. He is the only good thing about Sam Peckinpah's last film, The Osterman Weekend, is the score. <laughs> the score in that movie is fantastic. He also did the score to a great movie also made by the director of Enter the Dragon called Golden Needles. Which Golden is- Needles? Which stars uh, Joe Don Baker, Jim <laughs> Kelly, and Burgess Meredith, and it's about it's about oh I'm not yet, I'm not even there yet. It's about just, a sorry, statue that people the people are looking for this statue that has the acupuncture po- points to make you rock hard. <laughs> um, and uh, it's really good. <laughs> James, now I'm picturing a rock hard Burgess Meredith. What are we? What's I'm happening? I don't know what's wrong with you. I'm picturing a rock hard Joe Don Baker, so I'm winning. Um, uh, that movie is shockingly good, and it's stupid as hell. But uh, Robert Close, when he was on fire, was a fantastic action director, and. Uh, um, this is before his kind of downfall with like his his stuff in the eighties, which was terrible, like Jim Cotta. Jim Cotta, yeah, I t- <laughs> Jim Cotta and China O'Brien and shit. But um, no, uh, Golden Needles was just released on Blu-ray not too long ago. If you want to see another good piece, of th- I'll probably talk about that someday. That movie's amazing, and uh, the music is fantastic. <laughs> so Lalo Sifrin also good at what he does, and and he was responsible for getting in this movie the theme song is by Alice Cooper. Yeah. Which Lazlo Siflin wrote. And he was the person who got Alice Cooper to sing it. And a great, really just a great intro to the film. It really, it really it invites you in right away. I think, yeah. I think it really sets, sets the tone. It's like, this is, you know, it's, it, it's, it's rocking, but it's, and it, it seems you know, Alice Cooper at the time, I think was a youngish star. And uh, yeah, I think it, it's very much, it's very much thematically spot on. And it's just, it's just a, just a good song. It's cool. Why is it no one seems to hear? 
what the film's about it's about oh it's about a really bad high school <laughs> um very very bad high school very bad high school um and a a new teacher shows up and quickly he enters an antagonistic relationship with kind of like the school godfather and it's one of those films where escalation is a, is, is a main theme like mm. bad things happen that would cause more bad things to happen what's caused more bad things to happen and I think the film works for a lot of reasons. The script is fantastic. The music's great. And the acting is very good, too. Um, oh, yeah. The, the lead, the, uh, the Mr. Norris, is played by an actor named Perry King, who is a guy I recognize, but he's not really like a, like a, a leading man actor. Um, you know, he, he looks like a budget like Richard Chamberlain. <laughs> I would say he's a budget uh, Harrison Ford to the point where he played Han Solo in the radio drama. <laughs> um, that the BBC did. He he's still acting. He's in, he was in stuff like, up to like five years ago, mostly TV and smaller films. I think his last big role was he played the president in The Day After Tomorrow, Ooh. and yeah, which you know. But he's in Slaughterhouse Five. He's in The Lords of the Flat, The Lords of Flatbush, which my dad loved, but I've never seen. That's um one of Stallone's first movies, right? And he's in he's in Mandingo. Um, which I don't, that's the name of the movie. And he was in, a lot of critics liked him in Andy Warhol's Bad. And uh, Ebert, Ebert's review, Ebert loved this movie. And in his review, I think he referred to Andrew uh, Perry King as a good actor who's often in bad films. Hmm. I mean, look, looking at the list of credits, that, that sure sounds like, that sure sounds like a, a career note. <laughs> yes. And then the villain is a guy named Timothy Van Patten. And he was in his breakthrough role. But first of all, he's um, Dick Van Patten's half brother. Okay, um, so he's that Van Patten. Okay, he's that. Yeah, he's 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 in the Van Patten the Van Patten family, and um, which means he is the half uncle of Vincent Van Patten, James Van Patten, Nels Van Patten, and Talia Balsam, and the half brother of Dick Van Patten and Joyce Van Patten, and the ex half brother in law of Martin Bassam. I'm this, I'm, that's IMDb. Um, but he he acted for a while, but then he went into directing, and then he, he became an insanely successful TV director. Yeah, seems like he's seems like he's doing a lot of work. Yeah, this list of credits is long. Yeah, most and I think his most most well known work is The Sopranos. I believe he directed more episodes of The Sopranos than anybody else. Uh, Emmy award winning director, and not acting anymore. And I don't know, maybe he lost the interest in it. But he is he is a great bastard. Oh yeah, yeah. He he's immediately he's immediately captivating. You know he's I mean he's 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 a good looking good looking young kid. He he's almost I mean not to get too ahead of ourselves, but when you look at the gang, this gang of high school students, mm -hmm. a lot of them look like they're in their early thirties. You know, <laughs> he, yeah, well, you know, he at least looks plausibly in the in in the neighborhood of high school. You know what I mean? I think yeah. he plays. He also plays it. He plays it very young, you know, especially when the scenes with his mom. Like, yeah, well, he's yeah, he, he he can turn up the charm. Right. 
like any good sociopath. I'm thinking that late scene where like they have that scene where he, they're at, you know, the teacher goes to the house to confront the uh, confront the mom about her son and he's behind his mother and he's playing it. He, he like suddenly he looks like he's like nine years old. He's like, mom, yeah, you know, mom. He it's amazing. Just his yeah. face, his face alone is is shows a complete reversion to some sort of, you know, adolescence. Yeah, he's he he's very good, very sinister. And one of those guys who just is not physically imposing, but looks but is still terrifying. Mm. Because of just the energy he brings to it. His gang is good too, but I think the other the two other major actors to mention here, um, first in a very small role but a important role, uh Michael J. Fox. <laughs> now t- speaking of ages, okay, he is an adult in this movie and he looks like he's a goddamn middle school student. Like he looks he's too so, young to be in the movie. <laughs> he still has baby fat. It feels like like he he's his face is a little like he looks he looks about five or ten pounds heavier than he did in, in Facts of Life. Family ties, family ties. Right. And he, so he looks like a kid. He looks like a kid. And he's so small. <laughs> you know. He's tiny. He sounds He sounds childlike. Abs- everything about this is like, how is this guy in three movies going to become, three three years from now, he's going he's to be one of the biggest stars in the world. <laughs> well, I feel like that was even the joke about him at the time. Because my mom, my, mom, my mom used to joke about it, how like, we would watch Family Ties or Back to the Future. And my mom's like, he's almost 30. <laughs> you know? So this is his second film, um, theatrical film. He was in a film you've seen. Yes. So what is that I had movie? no idea he was in Midnight Madness. I had no what idea. What is Midnight Madness? It's like a goofy sort of like scavenger hunt kind of movie. Okay. And it's like a bunch of people driving around LA and they're all trying to like, they're, they're, they're trying to like, they're trying to find things. They're trying to like steal things. It's all like, it's this goofy sort of, I'm pretty sure Disney, I think it's, I think it's an early Disney movie. So like it's, I just remember seeing, I haven't seen it since I was a kid, but I know okay. when I saw it as a kid, I really liked it. And then I remember looking it up in Leonard Malton's uh, guidebook and Leonard Malton called it a bomb. And I was like, Oh, um, but yeah, I haven't seen it in probably 40 years, but I just remember, I remember seeing it as a kid and really enjoying it because it's so silly about, you know, People driving all over the place. It's probably got, I mean, it's a Disney movie. So it's, I don't think it's sexy, but it probably has like a little bit of sex appeal at some point. Like, you know, a lady like unbuttons a button. I don't know. But definitely, I had no idea he was in that movie. So when you mentioned he, that was his first role, like, wow, he was in Men of Venice. Yeah, that is, that is a live action Disney film that has looking, God, that has that has Eddie Deason. Yeah, yeah that's exact. That oh, says dear. it everything. Yeah, Eddie Deason yeah. is his major role in the movie. Eddie Deason, Michael J. Fox, and David Norton. Um, I am now wondering if it's better or worse than the film Scavenger Hunt, which is another obviously Scavenger Hunt film. Um, <laughs> that you, you ever seen Scavenger Hunt? No, I did not. I've not seen the not seen the eponymous Scavenger Hunt. That movie has someone in this film that we'll mention very 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 soon. And I believe Vincent Price is in that movie. Um, what's his name from Soap? Um, 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 oh crap! The the main guy in in Empty Nest. Um, oh, Richard Richard, Richard, Richard Mulligan. Richard Mulligan. Yes. Uh, Lewis Leachman, Cleavon Little, um, Ooh. Scatman Crothers, Tony wow. Randall. Wow. Um, Richard Mauser, a Meatloaf, uh, and a cameo by Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's an amazing cast. <laughs> it's not a good movie. Um, okay. <laughs> I, I own it. Uh, that's by the director of um, The Last Dragon. And um, oh. 
I used to watch it. It's one of those films that I, when I rewatched it, I re I went into it knowing it probably wasn't good. Um, but it's one of those films that like if it was ninety minutes long, it might be good, but it's two hours long, and it's too many, and almost all the bits are just bits they could cut out. Like you know what I mean? Like it's just like non sequiturs. So, like, if they cut out about 20 minutes of bits and made the ending about 10 minutes shorter, it would have been a good movie. But it just drags too long. Good, It, it has good good parts in it. And it has one of my, you know, it has one of, two of my favorite actors of all time. It has Tony Randall. And it has Roddy McDowell. Speaking of good parts. Speaking of good <laughs> parts. Who's also in this film as yes. Mr. Corrigan, the much maligned biology teacher. And I love Roddy McDowell. Absolutely. Yes. He is in so many great films. I I, I did some research when I was looking into it. I, I, I counted. He was in a he was born in nineteen twenty eight. Yeah. His first film was in nineteen thirty eight. Yes. And with the between nineteen thirty eight and nineteen ninety nine, every year of between those two years, except for 1947 or 1953, he was in a movie or a TV show every year of his life from 1938 to 1999, save for two years. And definitely the kind of guy who stopped working only because he died. Yeah, and, and <laughs> hell, hell, his last movie came out after he died, so that didn't stop him. Um, I love Roddy McDowell. He's he's right up there with my all time favorite actors, like with Peter Cushing. Like, just he's he's great. In almost everything he does. Yeah, I think I I probably discovered who he was when I was a kid. Um, I don't know what his I don't know what his first role was that I I recognize him in, but I know that he was um, he played the Mad Hatter on the Batman cartoon. Yes, yes, his great voice. Mm-hmm. And that was definitely a that was a regular that was you know that was appointment watching for me. I know years later, like ye- like years later, when I bought the Batman live action Blu Ray, when they put all those episodes out. I was delighted to discover he played a villain on the old Batman show called Bookworm. Oh, I'm going to watch that. <laughs> and like he he's dressed in like a leather suit, like he's dressed like a book. It is it's magnificent. I I'm I'm uh I'm going to check that out. I yeah. think the first time I knew who he was was probably Fright Night. Um oh no, 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 the Black Hole. But the the voice anyway, his voice. And then but yeah, probably Fright Night or maybe going back before that. I don't know what I watched first, Fright Night or The Poseidon Adventure. I know he's in that. Or Planet of the Apes. You know, pick one. Yeah, I mean, he's he's in most of those movies. But, you know, unless you know he's there, you don't really know he's there. You know, because yeah. of all the makeup. He, he's one of the apes. So He's one of the apes. One of the apes. Also, <laughs> right. although, no, no, to, to, to be honest, I'm looking at it now, probably the first movie that wasn't the first movie that he was in that he wasn't a voice actor that I saw was probably Overboard. Oh, with oh my Hawn. God. That's right. Yeah. He's the butler, right? Yes. Yes. Oh, shit. Yes. And not to sound like a weirdo, but um, definitely, I would say, good good portion of Roddy, Roddy McDowell's career, I probably had a crush on him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, he's, he's adorable. Absolutely. He's, yeah. Yeah. Handsome guy. Um, and I, I I love Roddy McDowell. Anyway, I could stay tuned to my Roddy McDowell podcast. Anyway, um, anybody else in the film you want to talk about? I feel there's a lot of good like small roles here, but like 
nobody I really have really heard of. You know, um, the the wife actress is good, but she quit acting. Uh, Diane Nor- uh, Mary Lynn Ross, she's produced this too, but she this is her last film. You know, any, anybody else of note for you here? No, I just I was kind of blown away by the 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 guy who the character whose name is Drugstore. Yeah, just because he looks he looks like this guy on screen, the, and especially the way he dresses and sort of his, his hair. He just reminds me of someone I know in real life, like now, <laughs> which is you know, obviously not someone who's he's not shooting heroin. This, this friend of mine, but just at a glance, he looks so much like this person. I was like, oh, wow, that's really weird how much this person looks like person I know. But that's just sheer coincidence for me personally. And I don't think I don't think the, I don't think much of the character. No. And he also looks he's almost 30 years old. And he looks it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. No. Like, yeah. The 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 gang of bastards is this good, but nothing really like stands out for me there but I, I i really feel like the movie is carried by the main villain uh perry king and and roddy mcdowell and i i feel like the people who made it feel the same way like you are you have the dvd of this the blu-ray uh actually i picked up on itunes oh okay so um which again on a whim like it, it, it looked good i thought I'd, i thought i'd check it out and yeah so that included a director's commentary oh, so okay i definitely heard i heard mark lester gushing about roddy mcdowell uh, he definitely had some anecdotes in the commentary that I thought that just blew my mind about Roddy McDowell's work. Yeah, like there's the scene in the movie where Roddy McDowell breaks down and cries. Yes. And they kept doing takes of it, and he would cry on it at the same time every single take. And Lester's like, how do you do that? And Roddy McDowell's like, it's easy. And he showed him the script, and he had underlined a word and wrote, I cry now. <laughs> Because, like, Roddy McDowell literally acted almost his entire life. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I hope it was easy. I Otherwise, guess so. I mean, the way Lester talked about it, he said, you know, Roddy McDowell would do as many takes as he wanted. But he said, like, they're always, you know, he'd do it the same every time because that's that's just how he does it. Yeah. You know, yeah. Some actors, and, he said, you know, he worked with a lot of actors and some actors didn't want to do multiple takes or some actors you had to tell them to change their thing. But Roddy McDowell, he just he would do it as many times as he wanted. And he would, you know. In that scene, he cried every time at the same time. Uh, yeah. He also gave a shout out because when Roddy, uh, when Roddy has his fantastic, you know, death scene. Oh my God! <laughs> he does. You know, it's this spoiler, big. You know, yeah. it's this big car crash. You know, car crashing stunt driving scene. And Lester says that Roddy did all his own driving, and Lester was sitting in the back of the car, freaking out the whole time. Yes, and Roddy is clearly having a ball in that scene. Oh, he's um, he's screaming. He's yeah. He's. That that scene is also great because that's the only scene. Almost the entire film is in the high school, mm. um, except for a few scenes outside. And when they film outside, if you know anything about branding and stores, it is Canada, right? Uh, this is film was made in Canada. It was a tax shelter flick. It cost about three million dollars. Was filmed in Toronto, um, and almost the entire cast is Canadian. Once you get past the leads, yeah, um, in- including Michael J. Fox, and, absolutely. Um, it was made by a low budget company in Canada to save money. And it is hilarious that like, this is an American nightmare school in Toronto. <laughs> and they, they had to make everything look dirtier. <laughs> because yeah. That was, that was funny to me. So, so it, they shot in a real high school and they shot mm-hmm. over the summer. Cause you know, kids are out mm-hmm. and apparently they had to go in there and, you know, they had to make their own graffiti to make the place look like, you know, a hellhole. Yeah, and apparently when the when the summer vacation was over and they were supposed to get the kids were supposed to take the classes, they couldn't clean it up in time. Yeah. So I guess when yeah. when kids 
when the kids came back, they saw like, you know, swastikas and curse words on the wall. And, you know, the teachers were really pissed off. Yeah. I can't, you know, I, I would I would be angry if the, there's a lot of swastikas in this movie. Yeah. Like some of the some of the gang members are just wearing swastika like T-shirts. Like it's just it's just a there's nothing else. Like it's just swastika. <laughs> just, hey, you know, uh, the, the dead Kennedys wrote a song called Nazi punks fuck off for a reason. This is why, because that was a thing. Like, you know, there's that old clip of Susie Sue wearing a swastika t-shirt. And she's just doing it to be outrageous. She has no political viewpoint with that. She just wanted to be an asshole. Uh, and I feel like that was why a lot of those old punks did that. But then it got adopted by, you know, the skinheads. And they yeah, had to stop We should doing probably it. mention the costumes because... Uh, oh, they're great. Yeah. Yeah. Lester said that a lot of the extras, a lot of the extras movie were just, were locals, you know, from the club scene, you know, actual punk fans, slam dance fans. And, you know, there's a scene where they go to that club and like, they're all dancing around. Like he said, most people dancing this in, in this, in the scene are just regulars from the club and they're doing the dance they normally do. And they're, they're bouncing off each other. They're kicking each other's asses. And, you know, I think he said that the movie got an award for the costumes because like, he described it as ahead of its time. Like, if you watch it now, it, it looks like a million other movies. But apparently, in 1982, this was actually ahead of the curve. I think he's so. Mark Lester, <laughs> I think, is a little self-aggrandizing. Yeah, uh, yeah also in possible comment, <laughs> in that commentary track. Uh, I it did not win any awards for costume. It was nominated for some Saturns. Um, okay, this is a sci-fi thing. But you know, but this is 1982. So the Ramones were 77, 76. Hmm. The Talking Heads were the 70s. Now the the Clash were the 70s. You know, the 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 style of punk in this movie is definitely a more UK punk. Hmm. But Mark Lester did not innovate that in America. That was already here or there. <laughs> I'm in Japan. We're in Japan. But you know what I mean. Yeah. Um I I do maybe he it might be one of the first movies to really show it like in detail but i do even feel that like it's a sanitized version of those punks mm-hmm. like it's oh of course it is, it is the it is the hollywood punk you know most right, punks did not have <laughs> most punks uh mohawks did not have frosted tips <laughs> you know that's this my viewpoint the comment the commentary track on this one's odd also i do like did, did you notice the point in the commentary track where they say the movie's more disturbing because the bad guys are white I did notice, uh, yeah, there was definitely a moment there where they talked about the the racial aspects of the movie, and I was like, (laughs) and maybe I guess two two people who have a closed mind about violence having the villain be a a nice white kid would be more shocking. But to anybody who maybe went to a shitty high school, um, it's It's not. Have you met white people? (laughs) Have you have you met have you met white have you met white teens? Especially, yeah. no, I wanted to mention earlier before we talk about the movie. What was your so? How bad was my high school? Was bad. Oh, uh, we had cops in the high school. Um, I got into a fist fight once, and the cops pulled me off the kid. Um, the kid stole my trapper keeper. I had, I had, I had to do something. Um, <laughs> Just fight. Yeah, he stole my. Here's a ninety sentence. I got into a fist fight in high school because somebody stole my trapper keeper that had my Savage Dragon comics in it. Um, and the cops pulled me off. Um, there were usually fights in my school every day. I knew a kid who brought a knife to school. Um, there was a the famous story at my high school. There were two. One I'm not going to tell. It's gross. 
Um, the other was in the eight before I was there in the eighties. In the eighties, there was a health the health teacher nobody liked, and the rumor there were two rumors about him. One, he had a toupee and it was a really bad toupee, and two, he was gay. And uh, this is in the eighties, so you know. Mm. Um, and somebody spiked his coffee with LSD, <laughs> and so apparently. He tore off his toupee and ran around the school screaming, uh, vehemently insisting he was not gay using a derogatory term. Um, and that was always the urban legend, and I didn't believe it until I met somebody at one of my jobs who went to my high school, and I asked her if it was true, and she said, yeah, because the guy who did it knocked me up. <laughs> so teenage pregnancy and drug use and knives. That was my high school. What about you? None of that. No, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm from New York, but I grew up in the suburbs. So okay. I had a very, I had a very quiet, laid back, uh, high school experience. It was still absolute hell. Absolutely. The worst part of worst, worst time of my life, hands down. Okay. But you no, know. I did have, uh, relevant to this movie in particular, it actually, it was not high school. It was actually middle school, but it's, you know, high school adjacent. Mm -hmm. I was walking home one day. And a car pulled up, like just stopped in the street, and a kid got out of the car and sort of jumped on me and started shoving me, shoved, shoved me to the ground and started shouting at me, telling me, "Hey, I, I heard you, I heard you said things about me. I heard, don't talk about me, don't talk about me." I had no idea who this kid was. What the fuck? And when eventually, you know, to me, I was, I was jumped by someone in the street. So like, I, I don't think I went to the cops, but I, I went, I told someone in authority, I was like, hey, this kid just jumped on me. What are you going to do about it? And I was met with complete indifference. Yeah. Just like, well, that's, that was outside of school. That's what, what are we supposed to do about it? I'm like, he's a student here. No. So like when I watched this movie and, and you know, I sort of, you know, a theme here is just sort of like people don't, people don't know what to do. So they don't do anything. Yeah, uh, I really remember that that time where I was, you know, basically jumped on by a stranger. I mean, it was a, it was a kid. It wasn't an adult. I guess some adult they might have done something, but yeah, this yeah, kid jumped yeah. on me, and you know, no lasting damage, but like he attacked me in the street, and no one, no one felt they could do anything about it. Like, well, what are you gonna do? Weird, weird. That's weird. <laughs> yeah, I, I, my, my, yeah, my junior high experience was much worse than my high school experience. I think that's true for everybody, and I think that's why. Whenever there is a realistic junior high school movie, no one wants to watch it. <laughs> because, like, Welcome to the Dollhouse. Like, that's too real. Uh, high school high school for me was definitely big swings. Like, some great times, some terrible times. Like, you know, uh, I feel like that, especially the second half of high school. Once I, once I beat up that one kid, everyone stopped making fun of me. Because everyone realized, oh shit, James is six and a half feet tall now. <laughs> and big he could kill us let's be nice to him so the second the, my, my second half of high school aside from all the crime and drugs was great um not like this um because this school's bad and <laughs> i guess we should probably talk about the movie more a bit uh we'll get pretty spoilery if you want to watch this you can stream it on various services there's a, there's a good blu-ray out there uh i do recommend watching the movie if you if you like these kind of things but again like a lot of movies i talk about even if you're spoiled, a lot of it is in the presentation, not the content. So, you know. Yeah, there's no mystery here. You know, when you watch the movie. You know what's going to happen. Yeah. As soon as you see see this guy show up in a suit and, you know, there's a teacher, you know, Rodney McDowell welcomes into the, the school and he's like, 
what's going on here? Metal detectors? And Ryan McDowell's like, hey, bitch, like, this is where you work. Like, <laughs> and you Ryan know. McDowell has a gun. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He's just packing. You know, yeah, and it's, and that's Chekhov's gun. He's going he's gonna to use it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, and yeah, because, yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm just saying, there's no, this is not, this is not, you know, like those, your excellent podcast about Cycle 2 and 3, like, you want to watch that movie and be surprised what happens. There's no surprises here. You know what's going to happen. Yeah, it's it's very much enjoy the ride kind of movie. But I think, yeah, I we both recommend it. We both think you should watch it. But if you listen to if you listen to us tell you what's going to happen and then you see it, I think you will enjoy it just as much. Well, first we get in, we get a text crawl warning us mm-hmm. about the violent the rise of violence in schools. Yes, right. Was it? They give they give you they give you stats about violence yes. and, and violence in schools and telling telling us how things are going to things are only going to get worse. You know, this is. This is made in 82, but it's a class of 84, so, you know, it's got that, oh, the not-too-distant future, and, uh, I think Lester also says, exactly, yeah, he mentioned that he wanted to be like the book of 84, because there's some, there are conspicuous security cameras inside the high school, which was probably, that's probably also ahead of the time, because I don't think, I mean, whatever, my school, my high school was, was built, like, 70 years ago, so I don't think they had any cameras in it, but I guess now, probably every school has, like, an entire network of cameras. Mine had cameras. Yeah. yeah. And this metal so, detector. Yeah. This new this new guy shows up for work. He looks, in my opinion, he looks a little too happy to be for, be showing up at work. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, what's his? Uh, geez, I forgot, I already forgot his name. What's his name? Uh, the, the character Norris. is Mr. Norris. Mr. Norris. Yeah. yeah. Mr. Norris shows up. He's a music teacher, and he's here to bring music to the children. And <laughs> you know, he shows up, and yeah, the kids are lining up outside, and they've got. They got to go through a metal detector and Ryan McDowell has to go through a metal detector and he's got a gun in his briefcase. He sees kids like openly passing weapons to each other around the metal detector. Yeah. And nobody cares. <laughs> well, it's too late now. Like Ryan McDowell's reaction is so great. Oh, really? Who? Which one? Oh, dear. Um, <laughs> kind of camp. I love that. Uh, yeah. And so he goes to the music class and that's when Michael J. Fox is. And like. There are kids there who want to learn, you know, yes. who, who, you know, like I think in most high schools, like most of the kids are good, mm. but there are some bad apples who don't belong in the class. And literally, they're, literally, <laughs> they're, just they're, just, they're, they're hanging out because they're gang leaders in the class. Right. Um, Timothy Van Patten, uh, Stegman, and who introduces himself with, who introduces himself in German with, with a Nazi salute. Right. Um, and- more than once, he he calls himself the third person, right? He's like, Stegman yes, didn't want to yeah. be in your class anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's one of those assholes. <laughs> um, and he confronts, when when he kicks Stegman's gang out, Stegman leaves. And also, and, you know, I if I was the teacher, I'd be like, good, get out. Because you don't want to learn. I don't want you in here. But Mr. Norris, man, he wants to break through to these kids, man. But at the same time, Stegman, Peter, it's a bad kid. Yeah, they're they're aggressively disruptive. You're like he can't even yes. he can't even take attendance. <laughs> can't even take attendance. Yeah, but the really interesting thing about Stegman is that he's very smart and he's a piano virtuoso. Yeah, that is, is that a scene? wild scene because that, that happens later. It's not the it's not the first yeah, time not, in their class. Yeah. yeah, later on you find out Stegman can actually play the piano, and is it there's almost a diff almost a different movie could happen. Like you could imagine this being a mainstream Hollywood film where Mister Norris tries to get through to Stegman. Right. right. Yeah. Turn into like yeah, Mr. Norris's opus. <laughs> yes, yes. With, with 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 drugs. But 
Stegman's too far gone for that because Stegman, Stegman isn't just a bad kid. He's a crime lord. <laughs> Like, yeah, he is op- yeah, he's operating a small mafia style uh you know what's the word? Crime consortium? Syndicate, like, a syndicate. A syndicate. Yeah, syndicate, like, exactly. Syndicate. They are selling drugs in the bathrooms. They have a they have an office in the local club. People come in there, they you know, they, they pay respects, they pay tribute, they take off all their clothes and work for them as prostitutes. It's just Yeah, he's building up he's building up an empire. Yeah, you get the the only reason he's in high school is that's what his customers are, right? Like he, I don't think he gives a shit, and he's too far gone, and he's just a he's a he's a he's a goddamn sociopath, right? And, and he's a rich. Like, is he a rich kid or just a, just a well? Like, it's hard to get a vibe of like the, the the life. Like you see you see a glimpse of his life at home. You know, like what's what do you think the vibe is? Do you, do you think are they rich? Are they just like are they just getting by? Like. I think it's a broken home. I think what is his, his father's dead, right? His mom's his father's, his father's dead. Born, and his or? mom is implied to kind of be, let's say, freewheeling, um, right? And their relationship is unhealthy, uh, not to a gross extent, but definitely like she treats him more as a friend. You can tell. Hmm. And it than, looks like than, a nice apartment, though. Looks nice. Looks apartment, pretty nice. Definitely upper class. Yeah, and I feel like. She, the mom is completely oblivious to her son being evil. Um, I mean, he's got he's got his own car, which he did with parks. Own car. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but and he's got his own own parking space. Yeah. So you know, so the teacher knows exactly which car to trash. <laughs> yes, exactly. And yeah, because it happens later. Because I think, like I mentioned earlier, the the really interesting point to me in this film, like, um, what's a good example? So like, I love the principal. We talked about it on this podcast with Norm. And but the principle is a very simple story. Yeah. Um, this movie, I feel like there's that the 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 whole gimmick of what is it? The Dark Knight Returns is escalation. You yes. Know? Like one person does one thing, which leads to another person doing another thing. And I feel like that is the key component of this film. In that, Mister Norris is the victim, but he makes it worse. Oh yeah. Yeah, he sort of he he gets frustrated to the point that he makes bad decisions. Yes, you know, like he's he's absolutely he's being hounded. Let's let's let me be clear. It's not just oh these kids are in school and they're bad and I'm so mad I'm gonna I'm gonna start a fight with them. It's like no, these kids start to harass him outside of school. They start her they they come to his house. Mm-hmm. You know they 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 do everything that I would say they come just shy of a like outright assault. Yeah, but even when they even when they do things that would be absolutely against the law. He complains. No one does anything. So I feel like you get it. You and get feel, why he would. You get why yeah. he would decide. You know, well, I'm going to start committing crimes then because no one else is going to help me. <laughs> yeah, he he is accused of. So in a really interesting scene, Stegman beats himself up. Yeah, in a really brutal scene to make it look like Mister Norris did it, and everyone just believes Stegman. Yeah, Lester also says he thinks that's the first time that's ever happened. I don't know if that's true, but I don't know that Lester, like I said, like, like Mark Lester likes him, likes him. Mark Lester's favorite movie is this movie, <laughs> and he says that it's his favorite movie that he made. But I think it might be his favorite movie because um, <laughs> he likes his own work quite a bit. I what, what, what was the point I was going to make there? Um, so yeah, he beats himself up, and then to counter after that, Mister Norris trashes his car, right, and. Because the cops won't do anything. And I do feel like this movie kind of has a right-wing 
political view. Well, there's an air of it because yeah, the, the fact that everyone keeps talking about how they, oh, uh, we need, we can't, we can't stop them if we don't have proof where they talk about evidence or where they, yeah. they, you know, like the cops at some point, like, you know, they arrest them because they absolutely were involved in a crime, but then the cops release them. He's like, why did you let them go? He's like, well, the rules say they got to leave in 24 hours. I feel like the tone of those scenes is very much like, we would love to stop these violent people, but the rules are stopping us, you know? Yeah. It's There's very, that it's air like, to it, which is it's like kind dirty of hairy. Very, it's like, yeah. yeah. Very right wing. And again, the 80s, in the co- you know, 80s was very much a pushback against sort of like, oh, you know, after after the 70s, when crime actually got really, really bad in a lot of places. Yeah. The 80s sort of had that, you know, overall attitude of like, oh, well, if only we could do this horrible thing. And if only we could murder people in the streets, we would stop all the criminals. You know, like, yeah, I mean, what's yeah. what's death wish? What's death wish? Yeah. Other than let's let's kill the criminals. <laughs> to me, this is more like Dirty Harry, though, because it's more like let's let the cops kill the criminals. Mm. You know, because Andrew, because the the vigilanteism in this is extreme, and we'll get there in, in in a little bit. But I feel like he has to resort to vigilanteism because the cops won't do anything. Yeah, and the movie is commentating on that again on the commentary track. Lester says he talked to the police, and this film is accurate. I don't believe him. <laughs> um, you have, especially with a lot of stuff, you have witnesses. Now maybe. In the early 80s, they might not do hard time, but they would go to juvie at the least, you know, juvenile hall and stay there till they're 18 or so. I, I, I feel, you know, what do I know? Um, I, I feel like Lester is exaggerating just how little the cops care, although cops are lazy, so who knows? Yeah, I mean it's it's a short movie, you know, they, 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 yeah. they, the escalation has to come quick and fast, so they, they had to sort of, I think, truncate things a little bit yes <laughs> and then another another key point of the escalation is stegman deals drugs to a, one of michael j fox's friends who they don't really say what drug it is it's that magical 80s powder that makes you that makes you want to fly <laughs> right yeah yeah this is this is very much a yeah this is very much a, a, a literal after school special kind of thing where kid does drugs once and decides he has to climb a flagpole and jump off the flagpole <laughs> And then he dies covered in the American flag. <laughs> yeah. In in Canada. Um, no subtlety. No something no subtlety. <laughs> and so then that try he um Mr. Norris tries to convince Michael J. Fox to testify. Stegman sees that. You know what's gonna happen then. <laughs> um yeah, a, a, a scene straight out of a prison movie. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. There's a they stage a fight and Michael J. Fox gets shivved in the cafeteria. Uh, but what's what's actually great about that scene that I, I didn't I don't think I noticed it the first time. The second time I I I noticed it. They had the scene earlier on when they're in the club and Stegman's there meeting with some guy and this guy wants to make it up to him wants to wants to wants to help out. That kid is the one who stabs Michael oh, Michael J. Fox right. later on. Yeah, yeah. So it's not it's not a regular in the Stegman gang. It's just this random kid. And that's then Lester talks about that in the commentary and how that's accurate, and he's right there. Yeah, that that is how gangs operate. They'll get a new person, and they want for if someone has to do something that has the uh, that has the chance of hard time or being caught, they find a patsy. Also, you, I want to say, I also want to stress, he stabs him with a legit big ass like assassin style knife it's not it's, it's not an improvised weapon it's not like you know he didn't you know sharpen a toothbrush <laughs> he, he walked in there with a goddamn 
you know, clue-style dagger and murders yeah. and tries to murder yeah. Michael J. Fox. Yeah, yo, this movie is violent. Yes. To, to get, um, it was it was banned in a couple countries. It was heavily censored in the UK. Uh, it was it, almost uh, rated X, according to Lester. Almost rated X, because well, mostly because of the ending, which we'll get the, some of the that happens in the third act. It yeah. is a very violent film, very brutal, and again with the escalation, it just it starts small and gets more and more brutal. I think, aside from the ending, the most brutal scene is what happens to Roddy McDowell's character with his animals. That that's we we'll and talk we, about jeez. Oh, yeah. Where do we start with this scene? I just so f- first of all, so they want they don't they, Roddy McDowell, um, Mr. Corrigan, and Mr. Norris help Michael J. Fox, and right. so they the gang has it out for both of them. Mm-hmm. And how does the gang get back at Roddy McDowell? They go to his biology class, which you know we've we've established that you know Roddy McDowell is very much a hands off kind of like he goes there, he does his job, but he doesn't. He doesn't make waves. He doesn't want to cause trouble. You know, like I said, if he see, if he sees people, you know, passing weapons, he's like, well, if they're not stabbing me, it's not my problem. Yeah. But one thing he loves is his rabbits. He loves his goddamn rabbits. He's got, yeah. he's got rabbits in his in his biology class. And they go in and they like they massacre the rabbits and like autopsy them around the goddamn classroom. Like there's it's like one event horizon. Stuck, there's one stuck on a spit with a Bunsen burner under it. Yeah, like it is it is a horror scene. And it's made even worse when you listen to the commentary and you find out Ugh. that those are real those are real animal corpses. Yes, now I in just the last episode of this podcast I said <laughs> I would never feature a film that has actual animal violence. And I want to ju- want to clarify and I believe I believe Mark Lester, the animals are already dead. Yeah, you don't they see them get shelter, killed, but you see real a, dead animals. But they they are real dead they went to a kill shelter. Right. And got dead animals, which is still like I don't know why this wouldn't get props. Um, yeah, Lester, Lester was shocked. He's like, he said it. Made, he said it made it harder to shoot because the, the smell was unbearable. <laughs> yes, and you can kind of see that in their faces. And but I really feel like Roddy McDowell's great in this movie. It's at this point that his performance, just his reaction to what's happening, and his kind of like, I'm okay, I'm okay. Just it's. I feel like his performance in this film is award worthy. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's he's the he is yeah, this is absolutely this in in a just world this would have gotten him at least an Academy Award nomination. Totally. For best supporting actor. Because like, of this, this scene. This yeah. is a textbook textbook supporting actor. Like he is not the star of this movie. You know, he's only in a few scenes, he checks out early, but every scene he is in, he is absolutely captivating. You cannot take your eyes off him. You want him to be okay, and when when he gets angry, you want him to win. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You want and you want justice. You want justice for Roddy. Yes, you want. And I feel like he has the the the, the pivotal scene in this film, aside from the ending, is right. when he finally snaps and decides these little motherfuckers are going to learn biology, <laughs> and gets his gun out and teaches them at gunpoint. And it's it loaded. Is, it, is it is loaded. loaded. It's a loaded weapon. It is a you lo- see him fire. He will murder those little shits. And that is an amazing sequence. Hi, Jerry. Well, you, you shouldn't be in here, Andrew. What are you doing? I'm teaching. Can't you see that? 
you uh, tell us the factor for the female of the species. Stand up when the teacher talks to you. Wait a minute, Jerry. No. Andrew. I don't come into your class and tell you how to teach now. What is the answer, please? Um, he is so, he looks so sad. Like, but also he, let's get real. You and I, we both, we both teach, we yeah. both teach for a living. I feel like, you know, as teachers, we've, we, I'm sure we faced our, our, our share of difficult students, you know, no, no mm-hmm. felons, but <laughs> there is. <laughs> Go on. Okay. I, I, I don't, I don't think, I don't think I faced any felons. Okay. But I've, I've faced my share of students who are just stubborn, who don't want to be there, who don't want to do anything. And let me tell you, it would it would feel, you know, in the back of my mind, you know, in some deep, you know, caveman brain shit, there's definitely a part of me is like, oh, man, you know, if I if I held a club next to your face, you would tell me what the fuck, you know, this this word says. You can read C.A.T., motherfucker. Yeah, it's like I just want to <laughs> grab him by the back of the head. Say Nani again. Say Nani again. Nani means what? <laughs> Uh, in in Nihongo, in Japanese, yeah, I we got a hand, we got a hand, we got a bitch. You wakari mas, motherfucker. No, this is we're going into uh, English teacher uh, grievances now. <laughs> this is a different podcast. Yeah, I I have definitely usually the students who I want to physically assault. <laughs> um, usually it's not because they're bad students; it's because they're bastards. Yeah. Um, like I have taught people who have dropped like. Japanese nationalism in my lesson, or have made gay jokes or homophobic yeah. jokes or, or or racist jokes. Those are the ones I really want to murder. I don't. Spoiler uh, for my life. Um, but I'm so I'm not saying to, to paraphrase Chris Rock. I'm not saying he's right, but I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he almost kills Stegman. He does. He almost. He almost. He almost solves the movie. <laughs> yeah. And the only reason Stegman lives is because of Norris. Um, yep. And I feel like, and again, in a different movie, maybe in a more quote unquote serious movie, that could be the ending. Stegman right. Realizes, or it could be the turning point where Stegman decides. Point, Stegman realizes yeah. that oh, I've you know what I don't I don't want people to actually die anymore. Yes, but then but instead, Stegman's like, no, fuck you, even more. Yep. <laughs> So, but so Roddy Roddy's probably fired, <laughs> and um, goes out in a blaze of glory. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's drunk driving, and there is drunk driving. There is bottle of bottle of I don't know what in your in your behind the wheel. <laughs> yes, and you know, I mean, I'm not I'm not gonna brag about it. I've I've had a few drinks, and I've operated a motor vehicle. You know, I, I've done that in my lifetime. I have never driven my car with with something in my hand. <laughs> I have never I have never drunk I have never drank even after having one one drink. I never never driven. Never driven yes. even after have one drink because uh I have known enough people who have gotten DUIs that I have my high I have my high road and yeah. I want to keep it. So I'm, even I'm, if if I have I'm a proud wine, of it. I'm just saying. I've I've been there. I've been in situations like, well, do I do I want to spend $15 on a taxi or do I was do I want to drive myself one mile home? I'll drive the mile home. <laughs> but I won't get in the car if I've had a if I've had like a spin off ice. Like I just nothing. But yeah, Ronnie McDowell is three sheets to the wind. 
driving sees the kids and goes to kill them and it goes poorly and like in any movie his car flips over and immediately explodes right yeah it's 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 definitely it's a moment that physics go out the window you know also i'm not sure how this works but i feel like stegman sort of like tricks him into killing himself you know what i mean like stegman is like he jumps on the hood and there's some crashing around and then stegman like like sort of plays chicken for a second and Roddy tries to run him over, but then Stegman jumps out of the way and he hits another car. Like it almost feels like Stegman's like, you know, did some fourth dimensional chess and like, you know what I mean? Stegman's smart. <laughs> Stegman knew what he yeah. was doing, you know, he's a criminal genius. And, and uh, <laughs> with, so then all that's left is Mr. Norris and doing all of this, Mr. Norris is really turning the music class around to the yeah, point the rest where of the kids gonna, who are there, who haven't been, who have not been stabbed, you know, are really eager, are eager to play their music. And he's getting ready for his big concert and content warning. Um, Mr. Norris's wife is then brutally gang raped. In yeah, a scene, this is, and that, this is definitely a scene they had. They said they had to cut a lot of because apparently, uh, and apparently, in the version that you see in the movie, I think only one of them attacks her. But in the original version, all of them do, and they take turns. Yeah, well, I mean, um, they all have they all have moments with her up close, so you mm-hmm. can you can tell that they probably had a much they had a lot of footage they just sort of trimmed down to the bare minimum. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, they're yeah they're climbing on top of her, they're they're, they're tearing her clothes off. I mean, eventually they it, just stab her. <laughs> she doesn't die. No, um, no, she she lives, but yeah, she's also she's pregnant. Oh yeah, that's right. She's They've established wife. that she is pregnant. Yeah. Yes. So there's that too. Um, and then right before the concert, one of the gang gives a photograph of her um, being raped. Yeah, the one Norris. girl, the one girl in the gang who seems like she's at least by. Yeah, because she's um, you know. It- yeah, and then so they, uh, Norris runs off, and we reach the climax where yo, I, remember how I said I like to watch Firestarter because at the end of the movie, a bunch of bastards die painfully. Same. Um. These motherfuckers die. <laughs> right. Norse, you know, Norse chases them down throughout the school and they have they have little action scenes in different classrooms. And I'm sure that I'm sure it must have been a fun scene to write. Like, OK, how do we kill this guy? How do we kill this guy? Yeah. Where can we go? And uh, I think in the commentary, Lester mentioned that most, you know, most of the shooting was done in this real high school. But for the climax there, they had to sort of build their own w- wood shop and auto shop classrooms because they just they didn't have them. Yeah. They went to actual wood, wood like. Play, they went to an actual garage and turned it into a, a classroom, right. stuff like that. But yeah. that way you get you know crazy scenes, you know where you get you get to have a car crash indoors and you get to have yeah you know uh what is it is that is that the bandsaw or the chain the buzz I don't know what you call that that's thing a bandsaw like that's a bandsaw um the cartoon the cartoon spinning blade you know yes um, you just you just shove anything on there <laughs> yeah I know that's not a bandsaw a bandsaw has the I don't know what you that's a buzzsaw I guess bandsaw I is the so. kind that. The bandsaw is the kind that's like a, it's like a it's like a bar, right? This is more the circular kind. Uh, yeah, all of the kids die, just ob- obscenely brutal. Norris oh, yeah. lights one of them on fire. Oh yeah, and you and uh, you see the body post post mortem too. You see the body. Yeah, you see him scream in agony and die. Um, he tears somebody's arm off with a buzz saw and then slams the dude back first into the saw. Yeah, um, and it's it's funny. So uh, apparently, you know, the actor Perry King yeah. was not ha- was not happy about that scene, and Lester reminded him what he did to what he did to a human being in Mandingo. <laughs> it's like, yeah, if I was Mark Lester, I'd be like, motherfucker, you were in Mandingo. 
Don't yeah. you don't try to don't don't moralize me. Because um, by this point, I mean by this point, the gang have straight up they have they have killed. They will kill. They are you know they are villains of the highest order. And yeah, you know, and, and also Lester mentioned like during that because the woodshop the woodshop scene is the first time where Norris actually kills somebody. Yes, and Lester said that when when they first screened it for audiences, he said it was in New York somewhere, and so probably you know audiences who had you know maybe went to rough high schools. Mm-hmm. He said they cheered, and to him, he said that was a sign that he got that he did it right. Like he got he got the audience to cheer for an adult murdering a child. <laughs> hey, that's what that's the goal, right? Yeah, and I, I feel and he, yo, I cheered. I love like. In real, like, in the real world, I understand revenge is messy, and there are consequences to actions, and it's never cut and dry, and that's why I like revenge movies, and that's why I like scenes like this, where, yo, that guy pissed me off, and he's dead. Hmm? He's dead. I will kill him, and he's dead, Um, and it feels good. And I know I sound like a sociopath, but I like it in a movie, not in real life. Yeah, Um, no, no. It's violence in movies is awesome. You know, it's I'm not going to shoot up. I'm, I'm not going to shoot people in real life, but, you know, watching watching Neo shoot a bunch of cops in, in the Matrix. It's fucking awesome. Yeah. And watching, you know, I said I, I enjoyed high school. I had bullies and to see high school bullies get lit on fire. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm 42 years old and my high school trauma is still in here. Mm. So that feels good. I, you know, I can still can can. I can name all of my high school bullies first and last name still. Like they're in my head forever. And so seeing people like that get what's coming to them, man, it feels good. It's dark. The escalate, I would say the, the flow of the escalation, it's it's in a very tight timeline because this movie is, I think, barely over 90 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it gets it gets you as a as as a member of the audience. It gets you on his side 100%. So when he sits there and he's faced with this guy and he could, because let's be honest, once you chop a man's arm off like that, he's not going to fight you anymore. He's probably never going to fight you ever again. Yeah, you won the fight. (laughs) But he's like, no, that saw is still on and you're still breathing. Fuck you. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And then the girl accidentally kills the big guy with the car and then she dies too. And then... Norris goes up to Stegman. Stegman has his wife, and there's the big fight on the roof, um, which was very interesting. So you know the commentary track. So the ending. He, yeah, they, so they, they have a fight. Yeah. They have a fight on a roof, and apparently the the first idea was they wanted him to fall off the roof, and then they realized there was a skylight. Like, oh well, wait, what if we make him fall through the skylight into the auditorium where everyone can see him? And they're like, oh, that's a great idea. But even then, they shoot it, and you know Stegman falls in there. He he he's on some ropes. He starts, you know, he immediately turns on the act. He's like, oh, but I'm just a baby. You you can't <laughs> hurt me. And eventually he just, he lets go and falls to his death. Or actually, he falls and basically hangs himself. It, it's, yeah, yeah. it's one of those things where like, if you fell all the way to the ground, you would die. But no, he falls and gets tangled up in the ropes and kills himself midair and hangs there. Yes. And in the original ending, yeah, he lets go and right. falls and dies. And Mark Lester said the, that his distributor is like, no. No, Norris has to kill him. Yeah, at that and point, so, Norris has already killed the rest of the gang. Like you can't, you can't let Stegman out. Stegman can't. So he, take- it was, yeah. So in a really, really smart move, he they, he went in and he added one shot of right. Perry King, the actor, was Norris punching the screen. Yeah, and that thing cutting to 
Stamen falling down, and then it looks like he killed him. Which is yeah. You don't you don't need another take. You don't you don't need to put the put the actor up the ropes anymore. Just just one insert shot of Perry Nor of uh, Perry King punching at the camera. Quick black. There's like a, there's like a second of black frame, and then you just they just cut to the segment falling. It's like well, there he killed him. Yeah, he killed him. There you go. Very smart. Very very effective uh, reshoot. And which leads again, which leads to that great coda where you know after this entire movie of everyone saying they can't do anything, can't do anything, even though Mr. Norris is clearly visible. Standing above, you know, Stegman who just fell to his death. No one saw anything. So, yo, man, you know, yo, you didn't see nothing. Yeah, you didn't Everyone's see like, nothing. What? The, yeah? the guy who was terrorizing the entire school? He just, I don't know. He must have fallen. Yeah, he, he sneezed, man. <laughs> the end. And like, so I feel like up until the up and the movie starts as kind of almost like Blackboard Jungle. Like yes, very. Which he mentioned the, the commentary. Yeah a traditional high school, bad high school story. And in the middle of the movie, it's like, okay, this is pretty gnarly, but it's, it's nothing crazy. And then by the end, this is a grindhouse film. This is brutality for brutality's sake. You know, I'm still shocked that they had to cut it a lot to get an R. I'm still shocked. They got the R because of how yeah, violent I mean, there is, is a, there is a lot of blood. And especially once you get the dismemberment thing, I, I am kind <laughs> of surprised that they, they were able to pull that off. Yeah, literally. Yes. <laughs> so. The movie, like, it did really good, of course. Um, it came out the same time. It's funny, this movie came out a month before Family Ties first aired. One big year month. for Michael Fox. Big, big year for Michael J. Fox. And it was playing in theaters the same time uh, Road Warrior was. Yeah, and, he mentioned that it was it was sometimes played as a double bill, which sounds like a great time to me. <laughs> yes. And so I feel like it... it a movie like this was going to make its money regardless. It did very well. It made about $30 million off of its, I think, $3 million budget? $8 million budget? Yeah, $3 million budget made $30 million. And that's just so, the U.S., right? So it, And it, it, did, it did pretty well in other countries, too. So I uh, Well, it wasn't banned. Yeah, it did quite yeah. well. Um, but, and the critical reaction is very interesting because it was very divided. Um. I found one review from Newsday. It said half a star, <laughs> witless trash. Um, uh, the New York Daily News gave it two stars. The reviewer on the same day gave Road Warrior two stars. So that, that's that's even worse. <laughs> that's even, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't have, and, you don't have to love this movie, but if you watch Road Warrior and you're not impressed, I don't know. I don't know what yeah. more I can give you. <laughs> and then the New York Times said. It quickly gets worse and worse until it achieves a degree of awfulness that, though rare, isn't much fun. But there were some good reviews. Um, there was a review in a, a, the, the Allentown Morning Call. I, I like this review. It's a small paper, but in a positive review, uh, the, the writer Dale Schneck said, a nihilistic orgy of violence from start to finish, three and a half stars. So that's a good one. And Ebert, that sounds like Fist the North Star. <laughs> yeah, and Ebert loved it. 
Yeah, Ebert, Ebert's review. Ebert's review was really outstanding. If I yeah. could, there was a there's a quote that I found in there that I feel like is so prescient. You know, he wrote this 40 years ago. If I may, unless we can accept talent wherever we find it in the movies, and especially in smaller genre movies without big stars, we're going to be left with nothing but overpriced lead balloons and delicate little exercises in sensibility. Hmm. Because yeah, this movie is. Kind of straight to the point. It's 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 kind of trashy, but everyone in it is it is absolutely competently made. It is well beyond competent. It is excellent. You know the performances are outstanding. You know it is fun. It is fun to watch. I mean, as long as you're okay with violence, it is fun to watch. Yeah, it's good. It's a good movie. Yes, like like Ebert says in the review. Also, uh, it's made by people who knew what they were doing. Yes, and and that's a big difference between this. And a lesser film, it's like thought went in. Like they were like, okay, let's make a movie in Canada cheap. It's violent. Okay, yeah, let's do that. Let's make it good. So they put thought into the script, thought into the casting, thought into the performances, thought into everything, and it shows. And yeah, it's not a perfect film, and I, and I think its politics are kind of gross. <laughs> um, but it's very well made, and again. Roddy McDowell, possibly his best performance. Yeah, I, I remember when I wrote my letterbox review of this movie, you know, I, I couldn't help myself. I, I said that, uh, you know, this movie would never get made today because Roddy McDowell has been dead for decades and he's the heart and soul of this picture. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and that's a good joke. But let's be let's talk about it. So, like, in the commentary track, he says this movie's prescient um, to what's happened in high schools. Now. I I I feel like the actual problems are in that are in high schools and the problems that are in this high school are different. Yeah. He mentions Columbine a lot, which is like that's not yeah. <laughs> that's that's a different kind of violence. Now, right. I would say that the issue the, the the way that this movie is prescient is in the kind of problems that don't make the news, like drugs. Mm. In my drugs and smaller crimes. You know, um like the like the, like like I said, like kids selling drugs in my school, and a guy have a, and a kid bringing a knife to class. You know that's that's the way that this movie's realistic. But Columbine, other mass school shootings, that's a different kind of crime and different kind of mental issue. Yeah, I, those I, guys. I don't, yeah, the Columbine kids were not you know criminal geniuses. They in fact they 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 screwed everything up. They were just you know, basically racists. <laughs> yeah, they were shithead racists with, a, with, a, with with bad pipe bombs. Right. And so I don't feel like it's pressing. I do feel like, I do feel like the schools in America are more like the school now than they were in 1982. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, certainly from, from a security standpoint and, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, I guess in, in a, in a literal sense, I suppose if you look at it, if you look at a school in 1982 and you look at a school in 2022 in America, not that I go to school in, in America in 2022, but yeah, I'm sure it looks. I'm sure at a glance, it's more it's more like this than you would think. Yeah, maybe at the yeah. time. Yeah, and that's you know, I'm glad I don't have a kid who's going to a school in America now. <laughs> you know. Um, because like I hear bad things about my high school now, like it was bad when I was there, and it ain't got any better. <laughs> so mm. I don't think it's Stegman bad, but who knows? I don't, you know, Toledo's a rough place, man. Um, 
are there any other can you think any other good uh high school from hell movies like i already talked about the principal well yeah it's kind of funny that you know whether or not this actually predicted the you know the future quote unquote is is debatable but no doubt there were a lot of movies that came after this that were about high schools going to hell yeah and some of them played it seriously and some of them sort of played it for sort of just you know off the wall you know i know when i was a, when i was a kid i really liked um stand by me not Sam. No, sorry. The other one. Uh, oh, geez. With Morgan Freeman as, as, as Crazy Joe. I don't. Crazy Joe? The, the high school. He goes in to clean up the high school. Not stand oh, by me. lean on me. Lean on me. Oh, I was so close. <laughs> I was so close. <laughs> yeah. Like, as a kid, I like lean on me. Uh, it's very much the same thing where it's like, oh, the schools have gotten bad. The, the, the teacher has to clean it up. Um, you know, but you had. But I think. For my personal favorite, I would say I love the substitute. Love it. I still haven't seen that. That is just okay. For, I, I'm going to pitch you on the substitute. Okay, so the substitute is not. It's 96, and mm. it's very much. It's after. It's post Dangerous Minds. It's we've already we've had a spate of these movies about Some good teachers going to bad schools and trying to fix things. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's post. It's even post. Um, what is it? The, the Edward, Edward James almost about the the kids who learn calculus. Stand and deliver. Yes. So you've, you've had you've had the serious, dramatic, oh, these are important movies where we fix the kids. In The Substitute, uh, Tom Berenger is a mercenary. His whole, his, prof- <laughs> his professional <laughs> yeah. killer. And his girlfriend, who teaches high school in, somewhere in Florida, which perhaps Florida makes sense, mm-hmm. she gets roughed up by a gang. She gets, like, roughed up, not killed, but she's in bad shape. He goes to visit her and he decides, you know what? I'm going to use my professional connections. I'm going to forge myself a resume and I'm going to go in there and I'm going to clean up this goddamn high school. And so not only does he become a good teacher, he kills all the bad kids. <laughs> and isn't there a rocket launcher? At one point, there- doesn't I I, 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 have a, I seem to recall a scene in the trailer where he has a rocket launcher. So there could be. My 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 biggest memory of that is this: when they when they have the big climatic climactic battle, all of the good guys and all the bad guys all have silenced guns. So it's like, there's like a shootout with all silencers, which I thought was really funny. Cool. Well, I'll have to check <laughs> that out. Um, that's that's Tom Berenger, right? Yeah, you said yes. That's- and there were sequels that he did not return for, so I, I can't vouch for them. With Treat but Williams, <laughs> Treat Williams. Yes, I did. I know. I saw one scene where Treat Williams. Uh, Smashes someone's forty with a yo-yo. <laughs> <laughs> He's like Google the yo-yo is a weapon, and he breaks someone's forty because the, the kids got a forty in class. <laughs> like yo 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 crazy yo yo crazy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. My favorite high school goes to hell movie is a very different film. It is um, um, Rock and Roll High School with uh, mm. the Ramones, and that movie ends with them blowing up the high school, but it's nice. It's happy. Everybody wins. <laughs> Uh, also, I guess it's no one's favorite, but we also we should probably shout out. Like speaking of forgotten, there were so many movies like this. They even made a parody of these movies oh, called High School, School High. High. Yeah, with John Lovitz as the yeah. as the good the tryhard teacher who goes to the bad school, and like it's just you know it's very much. I don't think any of the Zuckers were involved, but it's, it's a Zucker style like make fun of everything possible kind of movie. Yeah, yeah. Th- I don't rem- making- I don't remember enjoying it at all, but I remember seeing it at least once. That's yeah, making fun of the like the heist the white savior high school movie, right? 
Right. And then yeah. like, Louise Fret Louise Fletcher plays the principal who like you know she's got the she's got the bat. She's you know swinging the bat in the uh, the high school halls and I think Tia Carrera plays the young high school <laughs> teacher that he falls in love with probably. John Lovitz and Tia Carrera, a match made in heaven. Uh, yeah, how much older is <laughs> What's the age cap there? There's a movie I want to see that just got released on Blu-ray called Massacre at Central High. Um which is more about bullying and and that kind of violence but that I've, I've seen people on twitter talk about that that has everyone's third favorite carradine robert carradine um <laughs> so i might check that out and report back but yeah i do like these kind of movies i good i love a good revenge movie and again if this movie is just so well made with fantastic performances great set pieces and all kinds of good stuff that i i unless you're very squeamish about violence or that one you know assault scene i i can't see a reason not to watch this movie I definitely enjoyed it. I enjoyed it even more the second time, I must say. I yeah, watched yeah. it, you know, I watched it for the first time earlier this year and I was pleasantly surprised. And then when we decided we we're gonna do this podcast, I watched it again last night and watching it again, I was like, this is a really solid movie. Like everything in this, you know, I guess it helps when when Lester's there talking about why telling me why how it's so good, but still. Yeah. I mean, I still watched it again and like I was not, you know, I was just, oh yeah, look at that. It's it's really great. And Rodney McDowell is is fantastic in it. So it's yeah. hard, hard recommend. Big up. Big recommend. Yeah. So I think we'll wrap it up there. Unless you got anything else to add. You good? No. Yeah. All right. So uh, thanks again for coming, Diamond. Tell people, as usual, where they can find you online. Well, you can find me on Twitter or Twitch as Fight Club. F-E-I-T. My last name. C-L-U-B. The regular word. Uh, I work a lot for Retronauts, which is a game about uh, the game. It's a podcast about old video games and Sometimes we do movies like this movie, although this one's not about video games, so we wouldn't cover this movie. But uh, you can go to uh, Retronauts.com to learn more about the podcast, or you can go to Patreon.com slash Retronauts, give us a couple bucks, and you will hear even more from me because I do Patreon rewards for our uh, supporters, and uh, I do a lot of fun stuff. I do a weekly column, and I record it as a mini podcast, so that's really fun for me to do, and I that's definitely where I get to talk about whatever the hell I want. So a few weeks ago, I did like, you know, the 20th anniversary of, you know, the Spider-Man movie, or, you know, I did the, the 10th anniversary of Tron Legacy. So if a movie comes up and I want to talk about it, I'll just talk about it because it's my column. Damn straight. Well, yes. Good, 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 good show. Good show. You got everything? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That's me. And that's you. Yep. And as usual, you can find me at, online as Lost Turntable on Twitter, LostTurntable.com, Lost Turntable on YouTube, and on my other podcast, Alexander's Ragtime Band, which is about progressive rock music. But that will do it for today's episode of Cinema Olivia. Thanks for listening. I'll be back again in a couple of weeks. Until then, take care. And if you see Roddy McDowell with a gun, run. <laughs>